Hello, universe. I thought I might sneak in front of the original recording. Why am I sneaking around a recording? Good question. For no good reason. Other than... I kind of like the ending of the other one. But I did forget to talk about some shit that I got on to talk about. So, having already pulled the bullshit rewind time maneuver yesterday in the six-pack that I compiled through random... Well, not totally random, because I made the first part the first part. Well, in somewhat random assemblage. <sighs> Here I go again, fucking with the timeline. But the timeline's been fucking with me. And that's part of what I got on to sign on to talk about. Um, <clears throat> the... <sighs> The timeline has always proposed to me this outcome of influence that I was to have in a life with somebody who had been the mother to three boys. <laughs> I mean, this goes back to playing like mash fortune telling sand games in elementary school. Like this is hardcore delusion shit from my childhood. That's always just stayed plugged in like a nightlight in my lamp. Up in my brain saying, yeah, but remember that fucking dream slash constant reminder slash just a year ago had the same fucking reminder dream? Like, part of me has never let this go. Because it's always kind of just emerged in weird subconscious spaces. Meaning, I'll be having a dream about all the lollipops I'm licking in lollipop land with all these other lollipop people. Look at myself and think, oh my god, look, I'm a lollipop. And then I'll turn around and go, hey, we're all lollipops. And someone will say, yeah, but you're going to get together with a blonde and three boys and change the universe someday. You won't be a lollipop then. And I'll be like, what a weird thing to say in this dream about lollipops. I know, you've already told me that like two dreams ago. Lay off that. And so, not just because it would interrupt my dreams about Lollipop Land, but over time, you would come to a, a sort of, I don't know, somewhat reluctant recollection of, oop, missed, of these dreamscapes that have this overlap. So, Another thing definitely working against the cosmic connection that was this person's introduction to my life was that she was a mom with two boys. It was a weird enough sink for me to think, well, that's fucking another thing. It's like that mom with three boys thing. Yeah, it's like that, but it's not that. And considering there had never been a question of whether or not this was a mother of three boys, I had to talk myself into thinking that it was just enough of an echo to matter here. So I layered that unnecessary uh, distraction on top of things. What's truly mind-boggling is how quickly in my immersion in the stand-up aspiring comedian scene of Denver, Colorado, I ran directly into 
a mom with three boys. That part is fucking weird. But all of this, we'll just call it my cliff of sanity on which I am slipping off. Call me crazy. I get that a year of this tumbling through the wash and coming out the cycle that it did in the ways that it has was as unpredictable a fucking thing in my life as could possibly happen. Yet, here I am facing the mom with three boys. What I would say could be maybe the most predictable thing in my life that could happen. So, it has been a strange year, this 2023. From premonition dreams that actually involve characters who become mainstays in my real life, to meeting the one constant nagging occurrence that my dreams would never let go of. Again, do you just walk up to the fucking sanitarium and say, I believe I might be a candidate? Or do you let some of this influence actually peter out and distribute itself as energy within your real life? I can tell you that there's risks in both. And I'm not sure that I've come full circle on how to best live my life, given all the influences that have newly erupted in this last 10 years. I'm a... I'm a Tyro. Isn't that correct? I'm a Tyro, somebody who's unequipped, newly developing the skills to try something challenging. A beginner of the very beginnerist nature. Well, if it's not that, then that's what it is in my universe, and today that's what we're going to agree that it is. Because nowhere do I feel less well-equipped to interact with humanity than I do in this the month, the 11th month of the year after the year that Trump went crazy, the year that love was left on the cutting room floor, the year after that. That year, that year might not have been my best. Not that I came out of it any less full of myself, but the universe seemed not to jive with me as much as I have become accustomed. So if that's truly all my karma resetting back to an even keel so that my one sheet tender here can be absolved, well, given my predilection for the reckless, one would think that whatever event is going to pull us all up and out of this hellhole we call Earth... 8675309 version was rather imminent. I mean, maybe not today or tomorrow. Let's face it, how much trouble can I get in with my bloody cat? Not a lot. But the next day, the day after that, you start giving me a month to fuck with? Fuck a year? Or maybe that's the whole reason I feel this push to get to Albuquerque. Maybe that's where the survivors are. Maybe that's why I need to get the fuck out. I've always thought Colorado would be one place where the people would be persisting. But the more Coloradans I meet, the more I think, really? I'm just not that impressed. Even the people who have a ranch down in, uh, in Pagosa Springs, I just wasn't that impressed. I mean, the Squatterman Festival is cool and all, but... At some point, 
Don't you have something bigger going on? You do. You do. You do. I'm not, I'm not diminishing anyone else's pursuit of life. But to say that I'm convinced that Colorado is where the survivors are going to be, not anymore. It may be New Mexico. It may indeed. Plus, I've always loved Taos, Santa Fe, Albuquerque. Fuck, I just love the area, right? Well, I don't know about you. Maybe you don't love that area. But if you've never been there, then you can't say you don't. You can say, I'm not sure because I've never been there. If I ever go there, I might come back saying, I love Taos, Santa Fe, Albuquerque area. At least I did. That's what I came back saying. I still say it. Just did. Now, will you want to listen to anything after this? God, I hope not. Are you listening, God? See? No, God even stopped listening. Just like you should. Stop. Ah. There's one other thing I meant to talk about. I forgot. And that is institutionalized racism isn't phony. That's not a bullshit thing. And when you watch stuff from the 70s, institutionalized sexism is rampant. It's easy to spot. In fact, it's disgustingly, lecherously on display. And of course, the institutional racism, though less apparent, once you're clued into it, well, I think even an eight-year-old watching Family Feud, well, I would have been 11, um, might pick up on it. And so I, t- I walk us back to the, 19, the year 1980, when Richard Dawson has, on his left, a Hawaiian family who has one 17, 18, 19-year-old Hawaiian daughter in it who's smoking hot. Clearly, Richard Dawson is into her because he kisses her three times on the lips in one go. And it's like, ugh, ugh. And then on the other side, we have pristine white family with right up front is a classic Julie sitting with her blonde hair and thin uh, headband like she's about to hit the disco. And of course, Richard Dawson's into her too. So there's no real dog in the fight that you can say Richard Dawson wants to let this team win because he wants to kiss her again tomorrow and maybe fuck her overnight. That isn't happening because both teams have that candidate. So I can't say there's a favorite there. So you can't really blame it on Dawson. When in the third round, the round that would have won it for the Hawaiian family, the question is asked, and remember this is 1980, what profession would you not be surprised is asking to see your identification? Buzz in. Policeman! Yes! Hawaiian family came up with policemen. So they have the opportunity to play the board. If they win the board, they'll win the game. There are three more answers on the board. The next guy they go to says, Bouncer, doorman at the bar. X. The answers that they get, they get two more of the answers. They get um, sales clerk, which is the tough one. Although they kind of accepted two different answers as sales clerk, so I think eventually you stumble into that one with enough strikes. But if you had to steal it with sales clerk, you might have been in trouble. So they get sales clerk. And then they get um, banker. There is a fourth answer that they don't get. Of the answers they get that are wrong... They give bouncer, doorman at the bar. 
they give um, grocery clerk, um, which they determine is different than bank clerk, even though both are for cashing a check, whatever. And then they give um, liquor store owner. So what's the right answer? Bartender. All right. If the White family had given bouncer and liquor store, they would have given them the bartender tab. They'd have just won. But because the Hawaiian family gave them those answers, not not good enough. And they didn't even, uh, they even asked if the person who, uh, who sells liquor is the same as the person who was a bartender. I mean, back in the day, and, and it's funny because the other team was having trouble. That's why they did grocery clerk and sales clerk, the same clerk. It was, it was like you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't think of these people who would want your ID. They didn't really exist. There weren't a whole lot of them clamoring to see who you were. They just trusted you to tell you your name if you asked, were asked. Until that trust went away. Who took that trust away? They'll tell you it was the evildoers. But the more you see where it all ended up, don't you think the controllers were really the ones clamping down? Even back then in the 70s when nobody could think of a fourth occupation that wanted their ID? It's a little time ball of history, to say the least. And I'll bet, well, I'm not going to say anything negative about either the Hawaiian youngin' or the blonde Julie at the front. But you would think, the way Richard was going at him, one of them was going to get the opportunity Oh, Richard Dawkins. What a moronic, awful man. Good morning, universe. Is it still morning? Ah, oh, no, it's noon. Lazy bum on the day after Thanksgiving have I been. But, um, hang on, I gotta turn that down. We do not need to be copyright infringing. But we do need to be listening to some trance music the day after Thanksgiving. I think no matter what, you have to have a level of um, coping mechanism in your life that allows you to take a bad mood and turn it into a good one. And uh, for me, trance music has been that coping mechanism. And, you, I mean, you learn shit about yourself, right? I really like um, jazz piano music as well, mostly because I aspired to play at that level. But I, uh, I appreciate the um, the practice involved to be able to uh, churn those pieces. But that doesn't bring a tranquility to my existence like trance music does. or Nor does any classical Bach or Beethoven or anything else that's uh, non-lyrical or predominantly non-lyrical since not... All trance music, as just demonstrated, is non-lyrical. The uh, the reason I'm even mentioning this, and here we are, Friday the 24th? Yeah, it's got to be. Because there's still one more Thursday left this month. Um, <clears throat> so the reason I'm bringing this up is, oh, yesterday was painful. I mean, it was really painful. I just, I sometimes sit in my mother, father, sister, brother, 
foursome and think, I'm not, I'm not a part of this. Like, I'm just, this is, this is chaos at a level I don't exist. The way that they have ratcheted up years, decades, hell, uh, almost a century. Well, okay, not almost, but what do you call 60 years of marriage? <clears throat> That's a big fucking milestone. They got married in 1964. So next year's 60th anniversary is a big one. How many people make it to 60 years of marriage? Any? More? Anyone do it? That's the kind of brittle, embittered resolve that at 60 plus years turns into just don't push this button and I won't push that button. But if that button gets pushed and that one gets pushed, well, then it's all fucking over. So I do my absolute best to not push buttons, which I think this year I've learned is simple. Just plug into Bluetooth, listen to music, and only speak when they actually come over and tap me on the fucking body. Until then, I just assume they're gesturing at me for no reason. And uh, it works. I mean, I spent the last four hours listening to trance music instead of engaging in any level of discourse. But it worked. I was ready to leave and left without causing any major incident. Didn't even leave mid-bite or anything dramatic. I just didn't participate. And I hope they had a happy Thanksgiving without me. I really don't give a fuck. I have found myself at a position in life where I think I just am somehow rubbing the entire universe in the wrong direction. No pun intended, nor any sexual innuendo intended. Just thinking of, I am Velcro, and I keep on not fucking clicking. It just isn't sticking anymore. I don't belong. This doesn't work. This whole universe doesn't work. It makes me wonder if I'm being punished. There's so much abrasion between who I am and what this universe has become. I don't even recognize myself in it sometimes. Filling the role of the villain? Seriously? <laughs> Since when? Since when? But, <clears throat> that's fine. I'll keep championing the idea that we can be kinder, more understanding, and more forgiving the rebuttal of everyone, apparently. But not my sister. My sister and I are getting along. We have been for a couple, well, not a couple months, more like six months. But I'm glad that I refound uh, the connection with my sister. I can't believe that I thought my sister might be uh, my nemesis, and my nemesis might be my sister. I'm glad those paths actually straightened out the way they did. More conflict with my sister is certainly not something I need in this world. In fact, a lot less conflict with my sister is something I do need in this world. But conflict with my nemesis? Well, you know, you bring what you 
ask for. You know, and the other thing, there's so many ways that this was nagging at me initially. I'm like, even the name. I mean, I hate her name. It's the only name I hate. And what's funny is, I've known four now, closely, known four, and never dated one. But I've known four great uh, of this name. And the only way I could get around it was to use the nickname that I fucking love. To the point I even had a conversation with one of them about whether or not I could name a daughter that name because I love the nickname so fucking much. But I couldn't name the kid the nickname because the nickname's a little ridiculous. But it's the perfect nickname for the name. There's no question. So I've always loved the nickname. And in fact, uh, yeah, love the nickname. But I've always hated the name. To the point when I meet one, I'm like, ugh, hate that name. <laughs> but generally, they seem to be pretty good people. So, uh, why am I talking about this? I don't even know. Oh, uh, just signs that things weren't right. And then there was this one huge sign that things were. And that was the last sign of all. And that one turned out to be the one I read the, the worst. And as things go, I think about all the, hmm, the double thinking that my duplicitous cheating ways of the past would have created for anybody that cared about me. And that's a bridge probably too far. I might be assuming something there that didn't exist. But considering some of the reactions to, for instance, when Carrie walked in and found me fucking Susie on the couch in our living room and spit on both of us, well, it felt like there was some emotion there that Carrie had been let down by me. <clears throat> Anyhow, when you feel like you've done things terribly and all you did was cause pain to the people around you and then you end up in a situation where you're the vortex of that energy redistribution well of course you've got to feel some level of karmic comeuppance is being corrected for Carrie well not for Carrie there is no comeuppance correction for that that is the worst thing I've probably ever done to anybody. Directly in one, uh-oh, I think the back door is being opened moment. Um, I would say walking in on me having sex with another woman was probably as bad as it got for Carrie. But maybe she had worse in life. If she did, well then, I hope it wasn't related to me. Because that's the worst I ever did to Carrie. And that was bad. With a Little, little slight correctional understatement note on the script right there because bad does not even come into the conversation when you're trying to describe that heinous act. But, hey, learning lessons, obviously I am. Paying back karmic retribution, clearly I could be and deserve to somewhat still uh, 
uh, be lined up in the queue to uh, work off my debt here. <clears throat> All understood. But with that in mind, um, I am going to find uh, something else to push my life into. What mostly the last night of sleep gave me was the idea that I've been treading water and needed to go. So, okay. Go, I will. Maybe to New Mexico? I'm not sure. Like, it's time for an adventure. I feel that now more than ever. And I think the yesterday's dissociation from my entire family, which is what was palpable. I, I am a I am a person none of them know. <laughs> I'm a person I barely know anymore. When I say I don't know what I'm becoming, but I'm becoming something I've never been before, it is as if I'm emergent. You know, I'm as curious to see what's next as anybody. But apparently what's not next is something here, something in this reality, something in my current schema of what I'm comfortable with. I don't know if Albuquerque's the right place to go. But somewhere in the southwest here, I think, is the next place I'm being driven. Either that or Toronto. But, uh, God, why go north if you also have the option to go south? Said some Eskimo uh, sometime in uh, a really cold winter when they were trying to make sense to the rest of the people they were with. Yeah, 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 seriously. Let's listen to old Inuit over there. He sounds like he's making sense. Yeah, let's go south to California. All right, I won't make the California girls joke, but I was going to. Pause. Okay, you know what's a really good invention that I don't uh, use at all? And no, not a bike helmet, though some would argue that would be an answer to this question. But um, no, it's in fact an apron. And an apron's not really an invention, because you don't really invent putting on shittier clothes over your better clothes, so that if something splashes, it splashes on shittier clothes instead of your better clothes. That seems to me more like an idea. But the idea of the apron, it's a good idea. One that I even have three or four hanging in the kitchen, and yet, as I splash around in a bowl filled with melted butter, and I end up splashing onto a shirt that ruins the shirt, I think to myself, you know what's a good idea? Apron. So, sometimes good ideas are in the universe, and for whatever reason, you're just not built to enact with them. I seem not to be able to think of putting an apron on in a situation where it's called for. Is this a way I should try to improve my life? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Or, you could go the direction I've gone and just not give a fuck about your clothes. I mean... It's up to you, right? You can make choices in life that work for you. And if not giving a fuck about your clothes is an easier choice than trying to remember an apron, well, maybe it's time to hit the thrift stores, right? Pause. And here's another thing about, like, thrift store hunting. When you go to the thrift store, a lot of people are skeeved out by buying clothes. I get that. But most of the shit that ends up at the thrift store 
is the shit that somebody either wore once, thought was ill-fitting or just not their style or whatever, threw in a drawer, and now an ARC truck is coming through the neighborhood asking if you have anything to donate. You're like, go to the lowest part of your drawer, find that shirt you wore once and thought, oh, that shirt looks terrible, throw it in a bag, and off it goes. So if that's your idea of the kind of thing you don't want to acquire, well then, okay, fine. You should acquire some aprons. But if you go hunting through the thrift store, realizing you don't want that tattered pair of pants that somebody wore for 16 years without ever taking off, and now somehow are at the thrift store, or that one behind it with new tags on it that's selling for $3.99 that's a $30 shirt. I mean, there are ways that even the highest maintenance of high-maintenance people can be served in a thrift store. It's like a huge garage sale. You don't even have to necessarily dabble in the uh, apparel section. You can wander off into the bric-a-brac and look for an ashtray from the 70s that you'll never use. These are the kinds of values that thrift stores offer. And living your life in a way that you can't accept that that value is out there to be had and to be funly had? Funly? Is funly a word? No, I don't think it is. Anyway, if you want to have some fun in your life, well, thrift stores are my suggestion. Pause. Okay, unpause. And if you are of the nature to, say, allow the apparel um, in the section of your life, then if you have that three ninety nine shirt, no matter how much you really liked it, when it gets butter splashed on it, well, it actually costs less than the fucking butter that just splashed on it. So, how upset can you really get? Well, if you passed on a $0.99 cent apron, thinking, oh, I don't need that, I already have a couple of those anyway, then, yeah, maybe you could get pissed at yourself for ruining that three ninety nine shirt. But if it's all half-off day, well, then now what are we talking about? Two fifty? Hell, that's less than you have to give the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs>